Well, we're so excited. We've got a lot of family and friends that are with us today, you know, obviously for the baby dedications and new folks that are with us. We're just, God, I just want to say it again. Thanks for joining us. It really does mean something to us. It really does. It's an honor that you would consider being with us today, even if it's just to celebrate uh, the life and dedication of a baby or to uh, actually spend some time in worship with us and consider us as your church family. We hope that you would do that. Well, we have been in a series for the last several months in the book of Galatians. This is the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote after a first couple of missionary journeys. And uh, Paul has covered a lot of different things. We, we've been in a series called Faith and Freedom. He's covered a lot of different aspects in, in this letter that we've talked about quite a bit. He's defended his apostleship. He's defended the purity of the gospel. He's talked about the fact that salvation is not something we do. It's not something we work for. It's not something we check off on a list. Okay, now I'm to the point where God can save me, right? No, all the work has already been done for us by Jesus on the cross. His finished work on the cross is what allows us to be saved. All we do is bring our sinfulness, and we trade our sinfulness for his holiness. It's a justification by faith. We believe, and he saves us because of the work Jesus has already done. We've talked about freedom from the law. We've talked about the fact that we get to inherit the promise of Abraham. God made Abraham a promise back in Genesis, and those of us that know Jesus and have placed our faith in Jesus, we get to be, uh, in a way, Abraham's sons and daughters. But more importantly than Abraham's sons and daughters, we get to be God's sons and daughters, his adopted sons and daughters. It's an amazing thing, heirs of God. And last week we talked about the fact that there is a pretty huge war going on inside our souls. If you weren't with us uh, last week, all our messages are online on our website, southcity.org, and also on Facebook and, and even podcast uh, applications that you listen to podcasts. But we just talked about the fact that there is a great war within us. We've got to make a choice. Are we going to choose to follow uh, sinfulness in our own flesh and the things that we want to do? Or are we going to follow the Spirit of God? Are we going to walk in the things of God? We're going to learn today that when we walk in our, the things we want to do or our sinfulness, we're going to learn that that doesn't really uh, do much for us. In fact, it's going to produce some negative things in our lives, corruption, destruction. But when we walk in the Spirit and we allow the fruit of the Spirit to be uh, lived out in our lives, it will reap for us eternal life and blessing. So this morning, we're going to get into chapter 6. We only have a couple of messages left in our series, two more, including this one. Uh, next week will be a Christmas message. I'm excited about uh, praying over that and, and uh, delivering that for us next week. But uh, Paul's going to, it's going to seem like Paul's just sort of throwing out some random ideas. <laughs> in chapter 6, I don't know if you've ever written a letter and then at the end of the letter, you, all of a sudden you start thinking of all the stuff you didn't put in the letter. Have you ever done that before? And you're like, oh, or maybe at the, I always get these grocery store lists on my text. And right before I'm about, of course, I'm like in the line to check out. That's when I get the text, right? Hey, honey, don't forget. Oh, sure. Let me back out of the line. It took me 20 minutes to get in. And I'll go get this stuff. Well, that's kind of what Paul's doing. He's, he's listing all these different things in ways it seems like they're random thoughts. But they're not. They're connected. They're connected, and, and it, it's going to help us to know the Lord and to walk in him uh, uh, more than we have in the past. So Paul says basically, listen, the way that you're going to win this war that's being waged in your soul, a couple things, walk by the Spirit, crucify the flesh. That's what he's saying. Walk by the Spirit, 
let the, the fruit of the Spirit be lived out in your life and crucify the flesh. But the good news that we have this morning is we don't have to do it alone. We don't have to do that alone. We have a family to walk this life with us, to encourage us in the things of the Spirit, to hold us accountable when we step over into the things of the flesh. That's one of the reasons we have partnership to say, hey, I, I know I'm a mess. I know I need help. And I know I'm going to make some decisions I, I, I shouldn't have made. So would you help me be the person that God wants me to be? We need each other to do that. So look in your Bibles with me, if you would. Galatians 5.26. We're going to finish this last. This is the last verse of chapter 5. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Would you pray with me as we just ask the Lord to bless our time in his word this morning? Father, you're so very kind and good, and we love you. God, every time we get an opportunity to open your word, we know that it's going to produce life in us. You tell us that your word will not return void. So God, as we read every single word of this truth and this text, I pray that it would produce in us all that you want it to, God. Open our hearts and our minds. Make us receptive to what your Spirit wants to do in us. Father God, I pray that, that your Spirit would lead us to all truth today, that I would decrease and you would increase in this place. God, that you would just have your way in us. We love you so much. Thank you for the privilege to be together today, to honor you with our lives and this study of your word. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's look at this text. Now, um, the, first, the, the title of the message is not real fancy. I'll just be honest with you. I couldn't come up with a clever title. So the title of the message are basically the three points of the sermon today. So I'm going to go ahead and give you away the secret, right? These are the things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about family. And then something very spiritual, Farming. You didn't know farming could be spiritual, did you? But it actually can be really spiritual, and we're going to see how. But first I want to talk about identity. And you may not look at this first verse and think about your identity. And I'm so thankful that the Lord has shown me the potential of what this verse could be saying to us. Galatians 5.26, let's look at it again. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, I don't know about you, but my definition of conceitedness or being conceited is somebody who thinks too much of themselves, right? They're puffed up on themselves. They're pretty proud of who they are. So they, it's almost like they're seated in a lofty position, looking down on everybody else. That's when I think about conceitedness, that's the way I think about it. And as you think about it from an English language perspective, that is kind of our definition of it. But it's not exactly the definition in the Greek. Paul says, Let's not be conceited. He's not just talking about a lofty position. Actually, the word conceited in the Greek means empty of honor. It means empty of honor. So there's something missing within each one of us. We, we don't have uh, honor. We have, we're, we're missing honor in some way. And so what happens is we begin to try to find honor. We begin to try to find significance and life and identity in other things, and we need other people to affirm it in us. That's what conceited can mean. So what, really what it is, is like a deep insecurity, and it's a, like a desire uh, to be seen by other people, 
uh, to, to, to feel a certain way that other people can make you feel. And what happens is we can end up using people to get what we want from people. Tim Keller says that we are a hardwired, every one of us, even in our human nature, to want to receive well done, my good and faithful servant, right? Those of us that know some of Scripture and we're, we're believers in Jesus, we, we hope and pray that, that when we enter heaven, that would be the thing that Jesus would say to each of us, right? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Right? You, 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 you know my son, you've, you've served my son, you love him, well done. Keller says all of us are hardwired with the desire for that to be spoken to our souls. But for those of us that, that don't know Jesus, we don't know about that phrase. And so there's an emptiness in our souls, and so we want to look for something to fill us. We're desperate for recognition. We're desperate for affirmation. We're desperate for approval. And there's this sense of emptiness that we desire to fill. I don't know about you, but do you, ever, do you know somebody who, who's always wanting the credit for something? Somebody who always wants to take lead on something? I, I got this. Somebody who always feels like you just need to stroke them, just a pat on the back. Hey, you're okay. It's a, right? I'm sad to say sometimes this can be me. <laughs> this was revealing. <laughs> As I looked at this, I started going, oh, I know that guy. Ugh. Yikes, that's me. I do that sometimes. I want the credit sometimes. And guess what? It's sinfulness. It's pride. And sometimes it exists in all of us. Sometimes we use relationships or even just how we treat other people so that we can feel a certain way. Don't just hear this at the surface level, please. Take this into your spirit and consider this of your life. Sometimes we treat other people a certain way so that we can feel a certain way about ourselves. It's, it's a codependent relationship, right? We're hoping that they somehow fill this emptiness inside of us. And what happens is we end up using people. It's sad. Paul says that way that this uh, emptiness of honor works out in our lives, it works out in two ways. It works out in provoking somebody or envying somebody. So the word provoke is, is a competitive word. It's a word that, that kind of means um, I'm going to mess with you and I'm going to challenge you to something, but I'm pretty sure I can win, right? I do this with my, my nephews when, I, when they were small and push them around, you know, smack them around. Hey, let's play basketball, right? They had no chance, you know. I'm just going to hold, you know, hold, you know, the guy's fighting like this and he's just holding his head. That's kind of, when they're little, you can do that. But sometimes we do that in relationships where it's the kind of thing where you know you can win. And if you can treat somebody in a certain way from a lofty position, it'll sure make you feel good about yourself, won't it? <laughs> Man, I really know what I'm talking about. You ever know guys that talk sports that way or hunting or business or anything else? The reality is they're stroking their own ego so they can feel good about themselves and using you to do it. And it's sin. It's conceitedness. It's an emptiness of honor when we provoke other people to try and uh, elicit some sort of superior feeling in ourselves. It's sinfulness. Well, the other end of that is envying somebody. We know that when you envy somebody, you want what they have, right? So if provoking somebody is looking down in superiority, envying somebody is looking up in inferiority. And, and there's a deficit in both of those things. 
we're not supposed to be superior or inferior. We're supposed to have a clear uh, understanding of who we are in Jesus. We're supposed to look at our lives through the lens of the gospel of Jesus. He's the one that gives us identity. He's the one that gives us significance. He's the one that where we find uh, who we are. Do you know who you are? Is it based on the way that your family has treated people? Your dad treated people, so you treat people this way. And now you can get that affirmation. Oh, that feels better. Or do you see yourself the way Jesus sees you and your hope and identity comes in him alone? We can't let our conduct towards other people be based on a codependent view of ourselves as superior, inferior. Keller says, apart from the gospel, apart from the gospel, I will be forced to be superior or inferior or to swing back and forth or to be one way with some people and another way with others. I'm continually caught between these two ways because the nature of my uh, self-image, watch this, but the gospel, right? But the gospel creates a new self-image. It humbles me before anyone, telling me I am a sinner saved only by grace, and it emboldens me before anyone, telling me I am loved and honored by the only eyes in the universe that really count. Isn't that good? When we see ourselves and we, we see our own identity through the lens of the gospel, that's the health we need. That's the spiritual health we need to be. We're humbled because we know that we're nothing apart from Christ, right? We're nothing. We, we've been saved by his grace and nothing we've done. And yet we can also feel uh, uh, emboldened and, and confident not in our strength, not in what we have to give, but in what Christ is doing in us. That is seeing yourself appropriately in your identity through the lens of the gospel. But what happens is we don't. And here's the thing. We can't help people if we don't see ourselves appropriately, believers. If you see yourself inappropriately outside of the gospel, how are you going to help somebody else, right? That the old phrase says, if your well is dry, how are you going to give anybody some water? If you've got nothing to drink yourself, how are you going to help anybody else? You can't. I'll say this to us, and we're going to move on to the next point. In our lives as Christians, can I tell us this? Listen, have relationships in your life that are not all to make you feel good about yourself. Don't just have relationships in your life that just serve you, make you happy, make you encouraged, make you feel something. Don't do that. This text this morning is going to tell us to step into to the lives of people, be inconvenienced, to sacrifice, to be burdened by people. That when we have some relationships that it's just hard to walk in a relationship with people, that's about where we need to be. If we're going to truly love people, be burdened, sacrifice, sacrifice costs us something. Sometimes somebody's going to call you and you're going to go, oh, that's going to, it's going to take work. It's going to take a sacrifice. It's going to take money. It's going to take effort. Yeah. And that's what family does. You ever had a family member that um, maybe they need something? <laughs> maybe they want something and uh, they haven't been able to get it anywhere else, and they come to you, and you're like, okay, yeah, I'll help you with that. And why do you do it? Because you're what? Family, right? You're family. 
This is what the body of Christ is. We help, we serve, we love. We step in sometimes where it's inconvenient. This is the second point this morning is Paul's trying to show us we need to be a family. Look what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Come, uh, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and, and then his uh, reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The very first verse in chapter 6, again, Paul's wrapping up the letter. It's the last chapter, last few ideas, and he calls the Galatian churches to family. He calls them to be a family, right? Brothers, this is, this is a familial term. He doesn't say friends, partners, acquaintances. He says brothers. In other words, act like a family. Act like brothers. Help one another out in a way that you help family because that's exactly who you are. He says uh, in chapter 5, you might remember we talked about this last week. It's a really interesting word study in the Greek. When he starts talking about all this list of works of the flesh, he lists all these different sinful things and characteristics of things that we do selfishly in the, in, in the flesh and in, in our sin. And Paul uses this phrase, it's kind of scary. He says, if you do these things, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Do you remember that from last week? What's interesting, though, is in the Greek, there's the verb here is saying not just if you do them once or some or occasionally. He's saying if the, the, what it means is if you live in this place, if it is a habit for you to live in this sinful uh, attitude, this sinful place of all these different aspects, if this is where you live, if you don't struggle in your soul with God about this, these things, then you need to look at your eternity because there's a good chance you don't know Jesus. What he's saying is if you're okay to stay in this place of sinfulness, if you're okay to walk in these works of the flesh and never think about them, never worry about them, never deal with them, the question is, do you know Jesus? It's a very serious uh, question and something we need to ask of our souls. In, ver in chapter 6, it changes a little bit. And this is, what I, this is what I'm talking about. He says, if anyone is caught in transgression. Now that word is a different word study. The word caught literally means surprised. If, if someone is surprised, if someone is caught, in other words, the idea is you're walking along as a believer in Jesus, you're doing the things that God's called you to do, and you just make a mistake, right? You, you have a lapse in judgment. You, you literally, the, the, the Greek says, if you're walking one direction and you veer off just for a, a moment. Have you done that? I, I think I've already done it several times today, Right? We, we make these mistakes. We, 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 we get surprised by sin. There, there are times, friends, if I can just be um, confessional this morning. There are times I'm driving in my car and sometimes I have a thought that is so lustful or so evil or so wrong, I'm surprised by it and shocked by it. And I literally have to step back and go, oh God, please forgive me. Forgive my heart, forgive my mind, forgive this place in my soul that allowed me to think that thing. And I get surprised sometimes by 
the sinfulness of my own mind and heart. We all do that. The reality is, in this verse, the someone who could be caught in sin could be any one of us. It could happen to anyone. So what does Paul say to do? He says, you who are spiritual, you should restore him. Now, Paul's not saying that every church has like the SEAL team of spiritual people, the South City SEAL team of spiritualness, you know? No, we just came from chapter 5 where he talks about what is spiritualness? Well, you walk in the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit, you keep in step with the Spirit. If you live in the Spirit and walk, you're a people of the Spirit, then what comes out of your life is love, right? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit ought to come through your life. And if that's the case, then you're spiritual people. And you are the ones to help lift up a brother or a sister who has been caught, been surprised in a transgression. It says we should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Now, the, the word restore is literally set a bone. That's what it means. Uh, one of our partners, they, they uh, used to sit right here, and they, they've just recently moved to Greer's Ferry. Tammy Green, some of you know this, and some of you saw this picture. She, she either broke her leg or ankle or something. She had put a picture on Facebook, right? Thank you. Uh, it's you see the picture and you go, oh, that's not right. That's the first thing I said. When I saw her ankle going a certain direction, it was like, I don't think that's right. You know what I mean? That's the same way it is with somebody who's been caught in, in sin. And you know them well enough, you love them well enough that you go, I don't think that's right. Something's not right here. Something's not working properly. If I walked up here and my arm's hanging low, you'd be like, something's not right. But here's the deal, as believers in Jesus who restore people gently, I've never had this done. I've never had a bone set from being broken or dislocated. I've never had it put back in place. But I hear it's painful. Here's the thing. If you don't set it, it'll never heal properly. Now, it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But it needs to heal properly. And I think in the church for far too long, We've just been patting each other on the back and I'm fine, how are you? And we're not willing to have hard conversations to help our brothers who are caught in a transgression. It might be a painful conversation. It might be one you have to step into and say, hey, I, can we just talk? This is a serious conversation. This might hurt, but I long for you to heal. I long for you to be useful again. Gentleness, it's when we act with kindness to somebody, when, when we don't judge people. I think about when I, I thought about this uh, from Paul, I thought about the story of Jesus when the woman was brought to him who had been caught in the act of adultery in John 8. You know the story I'm talking about. Pharisees had pretty much set her up because guess what? You don't really catch somebody in the act of adultery unless you set it up to be caught. And what's interesting is they only brought the woman in front of Jesus, because it wasn't about the woman, it was about trying to, to uh, trick Jesus, catch Jesus in some way. So this was a very misogynistic moment. They, they didn't bring the partner. Isn't that interesting? He would have been caught too, but there's nothing said about the partner, only the woman. How did Jesus restore her gently? Right? I just, in my heart and my mind, and what I know of my Savior, I just know he looked at her with eyes of love and forgiveness and grace. 
that she saw in him something she'd never seen in anybody else. The Bible says that he begins to write in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. Maybe it was a message to her. Maybe it was a message to the ones holding stones because Jesus says, hey, if, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. See, it was Jewish law that anybody who was caught in an act of adultery, you could, you could stone them to death. But Jesus changed, turned, turned the tides and he, he said, listen, if you haven't sinned, if there's no sin in your life, feel free, go ahead and, and cast the first stone. Here's what's interesting. Jesus was the only one worthy to cast the stone. And he didn't hold a stone. He didn't cast a stone. What did he do? One by one, the Bible says that the stones begin to fall and the condemners begin to walk away from that place and leave until it's just Jesus and this woman probably standing before her creator in the shame and embarrassment of her nakedness. And Jesus says, where are your condemners? Where are those that condemn you? She says, I don't see them. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus gives her grace. When we restore people gently, we gotta give them grace. We, we, we can't condemn them. We can't look down on them. We gotta just love them, hold them up. I don't condemn you, but it's not enough to stop there. Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Then he says, go and sin no more. He gives her truth. As a family, which is who Paul's speaking to, a church, we need to love people and lift them out of their brokenness, out of their sinfulness, out of their addictions, out of their struggle with grace, not judgment, but also with truth. Hey, listen, we don't judge you. We love you. How can we help you not do this again, right? We've got a recovery small group. Can I help? Can I go with you to that? Can I encourage you? Can I hold you accountable? What can I do to offer you grace and truth? Martin Luther says this about restoring someone in his commentary about the Galatians. He says, run to him, reaching out your hand, raise him up again, comfort him with sweet words, and embrace him with motherly arms. That's what we do when people have been caught in a transgression. Here's what we don't do. We don't stand by and do nothing. This has nothing to do with me. I don't, this, I'm not, none of my business. Huh. We don't despise, we don't judge, we don't condemn someone in sin. We don't go report them to the pastor. I've had that happen, son. Right? Hey, you probably should know this. No. You don't report him to somebody else. You go. That's what this is saying. If you're spiritual, if you have the spirit in your life, then go and rescue. There was a conversation between Cain and God in Genesis. Remember what he had done? He had murdered his brother. God says, uh, Rhetorically, he, he knew where Abel was, right? God says, where's your brother? What does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? That famous phrase, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for my brother? Yeah, you are. Church, guess what? The answer to that question, that age-old question for you as partners and family of South City Church is, yes, we are. We're responsible for one another to care for one another, to love one another, to help one another. Paul gives us a warning, though, when we do this. He says, keep watch, right? Be careful so as when you give help and you go for the rescue that you yourself are not tempted in some way. I hold a few guys accountable. 
and I, I try to, you know, they hold me accountable. It's a, <laughs> it goes both ways, trust me. And uh, I have this app on my phone and this thing where every time something of questionable nature comes up on their phone or their internet, it comes onto my, my phone, I get a text. And so the hope is that if it comes in a timely manner, I can turn around and text my friend and say, hey, brother, I saw this going on. I'm praying for you. I'm encouraging you. Are you okay? Can I do anything for you? Right? Um, but here's the thing. What comes across my phone is, is the name of what they're looking at, the website of where they're looking at it, the content. I see it. That means that I need to have a whole other layer of accountability in my life and honesty in my life so that I'm not tempted, so that I don't sin, so that I don't let that then move me to a place that I don't want to be, right? Paul's saying, keep watch and be careful. And this is what I think we have to do. I think we have to have an inner dialogue with God. So when you're driving down the road in your car and you have that thought that pops in your head and it's not a good one, and you're surprised, you have an inner dialogue with God. Lord, help me. I'm so sorry. I, I'm weeping, God, because I didn't, I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I thought that. Forgive me. And we need to have an outer dialogue with people, a confessional life where we say, hey, I, I just need to let you know, I thought this, I did this, I went to this place, I, I went to this place online, I saw this movie I shouldn't have done, watched this is an outer dialogue, inner dialogue with our heart in the Lord, outer dialogue with each other, living in the light of God's grace and forgiveness. Alistair Begg says, when there's a problem, when there's a, a, a brother or sister in a sinful struggle, there's a process. And that process is that we restore them gently. And the people to do it are you who are spiritual. That's what we have to do. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The first thing we have to notice about this verse I think is so interesting is Paul is kind of making an assumption here. And that assumption is we all have burdens. See that? He doesn't say, hey, if somebody's got a burden, bear it. No, he says, bear one another's burdens. The assumption is we all have them. They're in all of our lives. None of us are unique to the fact that we don't have a burden in our lives. And Paul's saying, you need to bear those burdens. The word burden in the Greek is a crushing weight. It's a weight that you cannot carry alone. That's what it means. And guess what? When we bear one another's burdens, we have to be so close to one another that we're shoulder to shoulder. I don't know if you've ever lifted something really heavy, guys. Lifted a piano, you lifted a log or something really heavy. You got to get shoulder to shoulder so you can get under that weight with your brother that he couldn't carry, Right? Friends, we've got to be so close to one another that we bear this weight. We hold this crushing weight with them, close enough to be able to do that. You know, I uh, was talking to a friend the other day, and he was telling me about their church. And different churches have different things and, are, and, are, and uh, different cultures, I know. But there's a difference in just going to church and having a church family. There's such a great difference. You can go to a church and you can see uh, the performance, right? You can see the guy preach, you can see the music, and then you can exit and, well, that was, then you can critique it. And that was okay today. He wasn't that great. Music was weird. The sound was too loud, right? We can do those things. That's not what a family does. A family loves. A family helps. A family supports. A family provides. A family holds dear and holds near. 
There's a difference in just being a church and being a family. And as we bear one another's burdens as family, can I remind us that different people have different burdens? Sometimes we look at each other's burdens from our own perspective of our own burden. You know what I mean? Well, my life has had this, 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 and so I'm going to look at you and expect that that's what you've had too. Nope. Every one of us have a different story and a different weight and a different burden that, it, it, that maybe we've grown up with, something we've done or a story that's, that's behind us. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. All I know is that, that Paul says to bear one another's burdens. We don't qualify the burden. We just help lift it. We just help lift it. But we have to understand that people come from different places, and some of those places are very difficult. We have to love and lift. It says when we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 5.14, Paul has already kind of spoken about this law. We go back to chapter 5, he says in verse 14, for the uh, whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when you love yourself, would you want somebody to help lift the crushing weight? Yeah. So if that's what you want in your life, then that's what you need to do in other people's lives because it's already been done for you. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus has done this for us. We do it for other people. This is how we live. This is fulfilling the law of Christ. Why is it the law of Christ? Because, well, number one, Jesus gave us that directive to love people and love our neighbors as ourselves, right? But then he ups the ante a little bit, and it's not just love our, our neighbors as ourselves. Love people the way he loves us, which is sacrificial love. It's not just pre preferential love. Now it's gone into sacrificial love, and there is a difference heard a commentator this week say, life apart from Christ is very much your life for mine. This is what he means. Sometimes in relationships, sometimes in different ways, we say, uh, whatever you can give me, that's what I want. You give that back to me. I want you to serve me, your life for mine. I, ju I just have needs, I have wants, you give it to me. But Jesus he changed, he changed that completely. Jesus said, my life for yours. And to love people the way Jesus loves people is to say, my life for yours. It's to say, your preference over mine. It's to say, your need before mine. Serving you before I serve myself. That's what a Jesus kind of love looks like to people. And you know what? We would not be able to, to put enough chairs in this building if we began to love people that way. We wouldn't have enough space if we loved people the way he loved us. We fulfill the whole law of Christ. Verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Listen, Paul's referencing something that has been sort of a, um, a, a hot word over the last 10 or 15 years, this word awareness, right? Awareness is you having a good understanding of what's going on in your life. Now, some of you are thinking about somebody in your life who has none of that, right? 
They, they, don't, they seem to be clueless instead of having awareness. Paul's saying, do you have awareness? For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. He has no self-awareness. He has no spiritual awareness. If you're in here this morning and you're going, look at me, I'm at church. Made it on time. Hope to come maybe at Easter. And, and the rest of your life looks nothing like that of a follower of Jesus. And you think it does. You have no spiritual maturity or awareness. That's what awareness is. Truly understanding where you stand with God. Truly getting the, the reality of what it means to walk in Christ, to be a believer in Jesus. There's also a need in this text for a, awareness for our own humility. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Do you have a humility in your life? This is not about me and I'm not helping my neighbor just so I can look good. People would do that and then have no awareness that they actually have done nothing. Remember what we talked about last week in John 15, 5? Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Huh? Thank you. Nothing. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Nothing at all. But if you think you're doing something, you're deceiving yourself. What's interesting in this text is we've talked about bearing a burden, which it means a crushing weight. But now we're also talking about the fact that we each individually have to uh, carry our own load, right? Sometimes you read that and you think they're equal, but they're not. One definition is crushing weight, but a load is like a backpack. It's something that is expected for an individual to be able to carry. So what Paul is saying is, listen, there's going to come a time in, in eternity where you stand before a holy God. And nobody can carry your backpack of responsibility. Nobody. You have to, you have to carry your own responsibility. You have to stand before a holy God and, and say, yes, I knew Jesus. I love Jesus. He, he, I lived for Jesus. He was my life. You can't go, well, my parents went to church. right? You can't go, well, I, I, I went occasionally or I did some good things. That won't get you anywhere. It won't do anything for you. You have to carry your own load. It's not heavy. It's something expected of us. We have to carry it. Then I want to get into this final piece here before we go. We've talked about our identity in Christ. The fact that we can use people, but we need to see ourselves through the lens of the gospel in a healthy sense. And then we've talked about family. What does a family do? How, do, how does a family lift people up who've made mistakes? How does a family support one another and care for one another? Again, small commercial for, for city groups. City groups is it, man. This is who we are as a church. We're a, group, we're a church of, of small groups we call city groups. You need to be in one. You need to live life with other people that can see into your life and are willing to help you when you make a mistake, because we all do, right? End of commercial. Here's the third point I want to make this morning. It's about farming. I, I don't know why I just thought of this crazy story. When I was 18, I started my, my ministry. England, Arkansas, I was a youth pastor, and I was 18. I was, a, it was my freshman, year of co uh, freshman summer of college, and they used to have these auctions where they would, this doesn't seem right to me now that I think about it, they would sell people off for work, right? Like, so they sold the youth pastor, me, to a farmer, 
in England, Arkansas, to pick cotton. He thought that would be hilarious. It's hard, y'all. That's hard work. But I literally, he literally took me out into the field, showed me how to do it, and left. I'm like, okay. I'm going for it. I'm picking cotton. I'm do, putting it in the bag. I'm doing stuff. And I think he just went far enough to get out of sight, right, just to mess with me. And then he comes back, and, and I'm sweating. He's just dying laughing. He thought it was the funniest thing in the whole world. Farming uh, is something that has been known of from the beginning of time. There is a law when it comes to farming. It's called the, the law of sowing and reaping. And this is what Paul wants to tell us about farming. Verse 6, he says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that, will also, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. <laughs> Verse 6, this is what Paul's trying to say. He says, there's going to be a guy like me teaching people like you. And it's okay for somebody like me to teach and receive part of my income or all of my income from you, from teaching you. It can be a blessing to both of us. It can be a fellowship type of relationship. In other words, I sow the word into you, and, and I reap from that a part of my living, part of my income. It's, it's the way you bless my family. You sow your giving into the church, and you reap from that an ability to learn and grow in Christ and with each other. It can be a healthy and good thing. Now, if your pastor, if you, I know we have a lot of guests today, if your pastor's up front really working on how to get a billion dollars for the new jet, you might check his heart, right? You might take a look at that and see what's going on there. Um, but if it's healthy, if it's done in such a way that there's a fellowship and a loving relationship, Paul says it's a good thing. It's a good uh, sowing and reaping law. And he says, verse 7, don't be deceived, God is mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Paul's done some things in the last couple of chapters where he's tried to be really clear. Really super clear that everybody understands what's going on here. Remember in chapter 5, he gave us the list of works of the flesh, list of uh, how to live in the Spirit, things, the fruit of the Spirit. These two lists battling each other. He's being clear and he's saying, don't be deceived. Don't for one instance think you're going to plant corn over here and then when it's time for harvest, you're going to get tomatoes. It doesn't work that way. What you plant is what you get. Don't think you're going to be the first person in the history of humankind that plants sinfulness and reaps a relationship of godliness. That's not how it works. Just as it's a law in farming that if you plant corn, you're going to get corn. You plant tomatoes, then you're going to get tomatoes. If you plant sinfulness, you're going to get destruction and corruption in your life. If you plant things in the Spirit, you're going to get life, life abundant, life eternal. Verse 8 says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God will not be mocked. He's saying, listen, don't fool yourself. I was just thinking about this. I, I think I've done this probably. I think a lot of us do it, and I think we know people who do this. We, we think we are doing something. We think we're okay in our relationship with God. We think we're okay with religion. Paul's saying, don't be fooled and think you're going to mock God by living one way and expecting something else. 
It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Expect to receive a harvest of whatever it is that you plant in your life. God will not be mocked. So then Paul's going to turn his attention as I close to the family members, these church family members that are actually living and walking in the spirit and, and crucifying the flesh and trying to honor God with their lives. Verse 9 and 10, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. He says, if we sow in the Spirit, if we honor God, if we live with the fruits of the Spirit in our lives and th these things come through us, then at some point we will reap a harvest. We had a, a party last night for our staff and our elders, and we had a good time, and we ate well, and we, well, this is one of the things I just wanted to encourage our, our team with. We're, we're uh, two and a half years, a little more than two and a half years into South City, replanting this church trying to be who God wants us to be. And, and it's safe to say we're edging out of the honeymoon period, right? We're into this is life. This is uh, who we're going to be. We're, we're growing. We're, we're, we're becoming who he wants us to be. But it's not easy, you guys. In fact, it's really, really hard. Don't grow weary in doing good. Some of you are in ministry. Some of you volunteer. Some of you help. Some of you lead small groups, right? Don't grow weary in doing good. I sat this week with a dear friend of mine who's a pastor, and he told me about how weary he was. He said, Drew, one day I literally just sat by my fireplace and tended the fire. I didn't, I didn't read. I didn't watch TV. I looked at the fire all day, and it was an awesome day. I rested. You can get so weary sometimes doing good, serving the Lord, trying to be who he wants you to be, trying to lead and care for other people. Don't give up. In fact, Paul says, do more of it. If you can do good to everyone, do it if you can. But especially do it to those who are part of the family. You know, sometimes we, we're faced in a benevolent situation. We, we give as we can. We have a lot of people that come to our office and they ask for, for things. Everything from rent to, to uh, utility bills to food to gas and you name it. We help if we can. But sometimes we have to go like this. We've got this resource that we can give. We can give it to this person who's not a partner of our church. He's not a part of our family. Or we can give it to this person who is a partner. Well, based on this in Galatians, we, we, we have to do good to everyone if we can, but especially to those that are a part of our family. That, that's another purpose of partnership, that we care for one another, that we, that we place others first in our lives. So here's the law of sowing and reaping. As a pastor, I sow the word, reap an income, reap a blessing for my family, and, and you pour into the church, you sow into the church, and you reap a blessing for being a part of this church and growing in God's word. We, we, we sow our own thoughts sometimes, our own deeds, either in the flesh or the spirit, and what happens? One of two things. If we're sowing a seed of sinfulness and works of the flesh, then we're going to reap destruction. This is the way John Stott put it. He said, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, 
entertain an impure fantasy or wallow in self-pity. We are sowing to the flesh every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we uh, take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they don't reap holiness. You will reap what you sow. It's a very simple law. And then the last thing that he mentions to us is that we, we can sow goodness and kindness in our community. When we sow kindness in the community, we reap a blessing from being able to give. You know that feeling when you give and it's just, there's nothing like it in the world. When you sub, serve somebody and it's just nothing like it in the world. But there's also a blessing that happens in their lives. And there's also a reward in heaven. It's all good. This past Monday night, we did our food pantry. One of the best ones, if not the best one I've ever been to. It was phenomenal. We had a ton of people. We gave away 101 boxes, which was a record for us. Uh, we also gave away 90 of those red bags that you went to the stores and filled. And we blessed 90 families with those Christmas meals and a gift card for $20. They left here full of groceries and ready to have a Christmas meal, feeling blessed. But what's so exciting more than anything is 13 people gave their hearts to Jesus in our food pantry devotional time. 13 people. Amen? That's the reason we do it. There was a moment when, when and I love when I see you, the church, scurrying around like ants doing stuff. I stopped just for a moment outside the clothes closet has, I was, had somebody's box of food, and I was going to help carry it to her car. And she, like, like I'm her husband, she said, hang on just a minute. i got to go to the clothes closet. So I'm standing out there like a good husband, <laughs> holding the groceries. And I just found myself looking around, and I'm seeing you buzz around like busy bees and ants, caring for people, praying for people, walking groceries to people's car. And I just had this overwhelming feeling of love. Love for you, my church, my family. Love for my community that we're trying to serve and help. Love for my God that has brought all this together. There's an unbelievable blessing when we sow those things into our community. God blesses us. There's no question. So I want to close. Listen, Paul's encouraged us to live with an identity that's founded in the gospel, not in what other people can give us codependently, right? Let's be seen in Jesus. Let's know who we are. Let's have a healthy self-image, not of something we do or we give ourselves or something other people give us. What Christ has given us alone. Don't live from a place of superiority or inferiority. Live by the Spirit. And then Paul is going to encourage us as family to live and help one another, to bear one another's burdens, to give grace, to humbly serve in the love that Jesus has served and loved and blessed us. And then lastly, don't be deceived. You'll sow and whatever you sow, you'll reap. It's a warning and it's a promise, right? It's a warning to those of us that are living in a way that is a little questionable. But it's also a promise to those who are sowing in the Spirit and trying to live the way God wants us to live. Don't give up. He's good. His blessing is coming. For those of us that are seeking to be faithful to the Lord, to love Him, to walk in Him. If you're not doing that in your life, can I encourage you to come be a part of this imperfect family of people? We're imperfect. We make mistakes. 
We're going to talk about them. We're going to own them. And we're going to allow God to change our hearts as a result of his grace and goodness in the process. You can, you can join us. You can be a part of what he's doing right here in Southwest Little Rock because I believe with all my heart he's doing something special. I believe it. I believe it. Whatever it is, God is trying to use this letter of Paul's in the Galatians to teach us to be more like Jesus and to see our lives filtered through the gospel, to be more like him. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you, and we thank you, Father, for this day and your goodness, your, your kindness, your faithfulness. Lord, I'm just reminded of the, the scripture that says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. How kind you are. God, even now there are people in the sound of my voice that are struggling with their own lives, they're struggling with some of their own choices. Lord, you just want to, you want to restore them gently, you want to love them. It's your kindness, God, that, that would lead them, I pray, to salvation in you. To, to their lives changing, for them choosing to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Lord, would you help us to find our identity in you and you alone, not what other people can give us. Help us not to use people. Help us to serve people. And God, help us to act like brothers, like family, serving, loving, equipping, encouraging one another. And then, Lord, teach us the law of farming, the law of sowing and reaping, and help us to be a faithful people, sowing into the things that matter most in our lives. And when we do, God, we don't grow weary because a harvest is coming, and we trust you with it all. Lord, we pray that you would be with us now as we just spend some time praying, worshiping, thinking about your word and what you want to speak and do to us and with us and for us in our lives. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.